Hey everyone, you're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer brand experts, and people leaders making a huge difference to their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Hackwell, and on today's episode, I'll be speaking with Brian Adams, the founder and CEO of PH Creative, one of the world's leading employer brand agencies. Brian's a prominent employee brand thought leader, a podcaster, speaker, two-time best-selling author, and released his second book, Giving Get Employer Branding, in 2020. When Brian talks, people listen, and I guess I'm extremely fortunate to have him with me today as we delve deep into the world of employer branding. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's let's get going. I think that the best place to start here is a bit of background on you, right? So you've got a voice that people genuinely really do listen to. And for those that see the video, you've got a great book with some nice product placement over your shoulder there. Give us a bit of background on you. Like, where did you start? How did you get into the space? What's kind of going on in your personal life? So I wish I had a more interesting story, really. But 18 years ago, I was abused at work one day. (laughs) My boss, he looked like Bluto with horrible coffee breath, leaned over and bawled me out for doing something wrong. And I had done something wrong, admittedly, but he made me feel two inches tall. So I went home that night and decided not to go back, started the company the next day. Hell bent on proving that I can grow a successful company without being a horrible boss. That was nearly 18 years ago. And um, we've grown from there. That's actually super interesting, right? So literally, it was all born out of just a terrible, terrible boss with stinky breath telling you that you were useless, right? It was very spontaneous. I was 26 at the time, giving my age away. And I always thought when I grow up, I want to start a business. Um, I didn't have any definitive plans whatsoever. So actually, I look back on that and I'm extremely grateful. And it set me off on the path, which has remained the heart and soul of you know the ethos of, of PH Creative. But was PH Creative always an employer brand agency or did you kind of start more generally and then kind of specialize over time? Yeah, so I mean, employer brand didn't exist back then. So we started out as a, we did print, that's how far longer. We did print design as well as digital. <laughs> we were pre-social media, but we were always about effective communication and really understanding audience and that kind of stuff. And we sort of, we acquired a couple of recruitment clients probably about 12 years ago and very quickly fell in love with the idea of helping organizations attract talent rather than customers. It's, it was in terms of the branding side of the coin, we, we found it was so much more rewarding. No, that makes sense. I think like, you know, you were talking about how frustrated you were and, and the, the sort of founding story of PH Creative. I think you, you guys use the term, is it defenders of happiness? Yeah. Like, talk yeah. to me about what that means in practice. <laughs> so it sounds quite fluffy, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, we believe that happiness isn't pleasure. Happiness is victory. So it's about purpose and, and meaning. And yeah, we spend far more time at work and, and with our work colleagues than we do our own family. So just to be happy in life means to be happy at work. And what we strive to do is help organizations better articulate the employee experience and what you can expect to work for an organization so people can make more informed choices, more educated choices as to whether to join or whether to stay, you know, and whether they're going to be able to thrive in that environment rather than just survive. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? And I think like you took the words out of my mouth, but it's the same reason we do what we do here at Pinpoint, right? We get so frustrated by the fact that billions is spent on Tinder and on social and kind of helping you meet people to go out with or helping you meet people to hang out with, but comparatively little is invested in the people you spend the most time with, right? And the kind of thing that's supposed to give you significant fulfillment. And 
I think there's like a, a significant underinvestment in the HR technology space over the years. And I think that's starting to change. And I think it's a kind of super exciting platform over the next decade, because that investment into the sector, it kind of creates a foundation that allows people to do a lot more exciting stuff. And I guess you've got people like you spearheading that in the messaging arena and helping people understand how to articulate what they do better. But there's everything that sits behind that, that other tools and other vendors and other people are now starting to kind of round that whole thing out as well, which is super exciting. I know you guys are doing some stuff in that arena as well, right? Yeah, I mean, technology is a is a big part of what we do, but it's definitely second place to, you know, we always say at PH, it's not the tools, it's how you use the tools. And there's there's better technology coming through all the time. Like, you know, you're a good example of that. But I think what's differentiated PH, you know, and allowed us to punch above our weight and sort of rise rapidly and be in the mix with much bigger agencies than ourselves is we just fundamentally disagree with the convention of how employer brand is traditionally done. And, you know, that started off as a bit of a risky prospect a few years ago and a gamble on why should we believe PH when the whole rest of the industry is saying something else. But actually, we've had enough years to prove out our methodology and it, it's by far more effective you know and we believed in it so much <laughs> you know it's like is this our secret source is this our differentiating factor is this the thing that we protect like many companies protect ip and actually you know when we thought about our philosophy you know our defenders of happiness and you know our vision is everyone loves their job we decided to give it away so we wrote it down and, and gave it away and, and published our, our book that came out March 17th, 2020, possibly the worst time to release a book in the history of releasing books. <laughs> I can believe that. Well, as I say, we'll, we'll come back to the book in a bit because there's so much joy to take from that lesson, I think. But before we do that, though, so let's just kind of round out PH Creative so people really understand why you've got such a voice in this space, right? So like, who are you working with? Where are you guys based? And, you know, you talked about it being a risky proposition for you to kind of evangelize this Defenders of Happiness messaging and, and kind of take a, a very contrarian position in the employer brand arena. Like who were the early adopters in that space and how's that kind of played out for them? So obviously like our clients are the early adopters. I mean, we've worked with Blizzard, Continental, American Airlines, Apple, Microsoft, Google. You know, we've worked with a lot of tech companies, a lot of life science companies, a lot of finance companies, organizations. You know, we're calibrated to work with global brands. You know, but the beautiful thing, I've seen this more and more over the last 12 months, is um, Unilever published something a while ago, and they talk about the give and get of their employer brand. I saw Disney reference something, and a few other brands um, are putting things out there now. So our clients obviously work firsthand with us with the give and get employer brand philosophy and framework. But what is more rewarding for the Defenders of Happiness and PH team is to see the industry start to adopt our approach. I mean, I can't tell you how satisfying that is to see. I can believe it. I really can, right? And I think what interests me, right? So you talk about the clients that you work with, and obviously that you know they gravitate to large multinational kind of global organizations. Some of the brands you heralded there are like very well known and sort of on the early adopter spectrum, right? They're cool technology brands. They're inherently forward thinking. Like, are you seeing the give and get stuff play out with some of the more traditional organizations, or has that not quite hit the market there yet? So it depends on the type of brand when we talk to prospecting and clients. But, you know, let's be clear that give and get approach isn't risky. You know, it can sound risky. It can sound like, you know, it's, it's misconceived all of the time. And it sounds 
counterintuitive, but actually under the surface, it just makes a lot of sense. So it's very easy to position it with a risk adverse organization and have them nod along and say, that's exactly what we should be doing. We totally get it now. It's also quite rewarding to work with mid-sized organizations who have aggressive targets to grow and scale because actually they don't need the noise and the extra distraction and extra resource and cost and time of unqualified applicants you know and if they were to just be simply more notorious in their space and more generally attractive that's exactly what you get in fact you talk about technology in this space there is a whole industry of technology based around helping organizations with artificial intelligence and machine learning to deal with the sheer volume of applicants that organizations cannot possibly get through in a, on a manual basis, which is a massive risk to candidate experience. Yeah, no, f- fully get that. I think I just asked the question because one of the things we see in the market is just that obviously this big disparity at the rate at which organizations are adopting yes tools but also as you say like you know i've read the book many times there isn't anything you could really present a case to disagree with in there and that's kind of frustrating as someone trying to read the book and plot holes <laughs> in it right but but like it's common sense it's obvious when it's framed correctly right and i guess all i'm all i'm interested in is like people have to want to take the advice in the first place and i'm always kind of watching the market and seeing who's adopting things at what rate because it presents opportunities for organizations to be the first mover in their little pocket of competition, I guess. But I think if we dig into the book now, because there's there's just so much there and I want to make sure we've got plenty of time to cover this, right? So the book's Give and Get Employer Branding. We're going to give away a bunch of copies and we'll talk about that at the end. Let's dig into some of the core concepts of the book, right? And the first one is this idea of the big misconception. Like what is the big misconception? What are people getting wrong here? So Conventional thinking will tell you that employer brand is there to make an organization more attractive. So it's a magnet to attract. And you know the ingredients that exist in conventional employer brand will include the strengths, the benefits, and the opportunities to be had at any one particular organization. You know, And that's inherently quite obvious. We all want to put our best foot forward and present ourselves in the best light, and we're proud of our organization, so that all makes a lot of sense. Especially when you look at the root of where it's come from. It's come from a lift and shift from advertising and marketing, and that's exactly what you do. Now, of course, the misconception here is everybody we reach, we couldn't possibly hire. Um, Just to increase volume and be attractive generally doesn't really help our organization. Instead, there's quite a lot of pitfalls. So we prefer to position employer brand as a smart filter to help people make smarter, selective choices as to whether they're ideally matched with an organization, whether they feel like they're going to be fulfilled, whether they're going to find purpose, impact, and belonging. And whilst we were doing the research for the book, actually, Shane Gray worked at Clinch at the time. We asked him, hey, what's what's a, a really important aspect of candidate experience? He said, the best candidate experience an organization can offer anybody is the information required for them to decide not to apply in the first place. And I thought, wow, that's so smart. You know, so that's the misconception. Employer brand isn't there to simply help you be more attractive and attract more volume. It's a smart filter to galvanize your internal audience based on acknowledgement and appreciation, but to polarize the audience externally. So some people will lean in and be compelled to apply. But with that same message, others will run for the hills and say, that's not for me. And that's the best case scenario for the organization and for the candidates and employees alike. 
again, frustratingly, there's nothing to disagree with, right? <laughs> like it is as simple as that. And the quote you gave there is clearly going to be our social clip, right? Like that makes perfect, <laughs> perfect sense because it, because it does, right? Like that there's nothing more to say. And I think we see this a lot, right? We're a small organization, but we're inundated with applicants for the roles that we have. And we've really spent a lot of time trying to frame our job descriptions and our entire candidate experience around that disqualification process, because we don't want to offer a poor experience for people. And I think it's very easy to get through the interview process and say, hey, you know, this is going to be hard and this is what you're going to have to give up and this is what that's going to look like and so on. And I think my prior experience has been that it seems to go in one ear and go out the other ear with unqualified candidates. And that's almost worse because then you make a mishire and the cost of replacing that hire and the damage those people do to the organization is in some cases irreparable, right? So that concept of the big misconception makes a lot of sense. I guess the question most would ask would be, how do we get there? How do we go from where we are today with this very kind of cast as wide a net as possible approach to understanding what the narrative and the message should be to attract the right people and put off the wrong ones? How do people get there? So the beautiful thing in all of this is if you understand your organization, you're confident that you can articulate the employee experience, what it's really like and you understand the capabilities required in your people to drive the organization forward, that information can be crafted into a message which will split an audience. If I ask anybody about the last time they felt a real compelling sense of achievement, they are going to answer, you'll get many different answers, but what they will all tell you is something that they've accomplished that they're proud of. And when you ask them why they're proud, they're not going to say because it was easy. They're going to tell you because it was hard in lots of different ways. It could be they're outside their comfort zone. They had to learn something. They had to do something under pressure. They had to work with a team they didn't know or had to rely on. Lots of different things. Now, therein lies the magic that convention will tell you not to talk about. The harsh realities and the adversities found in the employee experience it isn't the gold, but it is the X marks the spot. It does tell you where to dig because it's the quickest route to finding how people are fulfilled with passion and pride inside your organization. There's so many things to kind of deconstruct there. I guess I want to pause for a second though and step back. You yourself are extremely articulate, right? And like you've written books and you know how to frame this messaging and you know how to get that out there and you know the questions to ask to get the answers. And I think we've had other podcast guests in and around the space that have a similar set of skills, right? They've kind of got a more marketing-y, more brandy, designy even background. Do you think that that's a skill that's becoming kind of more and more important in the HR space, right? Like when we talk to a conventional people team, we're seeing this kind of transition of job titles and we're seeing more of these kind of dedicated employer branding and marketing people related roles. Like how do you think about helping organizations that have a more traditionally structured HR team develop the skills to articulate this message properly? Is the answer just use an agency like PH or is there more to it than that? There is more to it than that. But what I mean by that is there's more options. There's many different ways of skinning that cat. And the most important thing is to just get clarity on your own employer brand, which consists of three things, really. One, reputation. What reputation do you need as an employer to drive the organization forward? Two, expectation. How can you level set the expectations to be discovered and validated with the employee or associate experience? And then three, experience. How are you going to manage the experience to be on brand and to be positive? As long as those things can be achieved, you could use an agency, you could do it yourself, you could build an agency internally, 
Uh, you can do something in between. There's, there's a whole host of it. The most important thing is you get there. And that just comes from being able to follow a simple roadmap with clarity and simplicity. Something that plugs into the business strategy that the leadership can buy into and really support. As long as you can get there, that's the main thing, you know? And that's partly why we wrote the book in the hope that more than just our clients can find that type of solution. Again, like that completely resonates, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that we gift the book so much is because we want the clients we work with and the, the people that we speak to to think about things in more of this kind of employer brand and marketing context than maybe they conventionally do. I think what you're talking a lot about here is understanding people and understanding the makeup of your existing team and the driving forces behind the performers in that team and sort of what you need to manage externally. Like maybe a natural segue into personas, right? Like how do you think about persona development? How do you think about framing that? What does the process look like when you work with organizations to develop those personas? Yeah. So, you know, again, you already nailed it earlier on. You know, this is just about understanding your audience and actually, I'm not even comfortable with the term audience because, you know, an audience implies you know, a passive body of people who are just receiving messages. And it's more than that. It's a two-way street. But the more you intimately understand your audience and the many different segments of that audience, you can then start to tailor an experience that resonates because we're trying to get attention and keep attention, you know, perhaps by differentiating or pointing out how we're more relevant than others. Yeah. You know, and we're trying to do that in a way that resonates more than our competitors. But ultimately, right underneath that, we're trying to create affinity. Do we have affinity? We're trying, that's what we're trying to create. If you develop personas correctly, then it gives you the flexibility and the agility to dial up and dial down aspects of your employer brand based on who you're talking to. And you know, if you look at our personal relationships, you're a very different person when you're talking to your parents than you are talking to your best friend or talking to your kids. You're still the same person with the same values and beliefs, but you context how you position yourself accordingly. And, and that, in simple terms, is is all it is. No, sure. I mean, that makes complete sense. I think like the challenge of, of all of this though, right, is just like helping organize, and I keep saying this, like, like helping organizations go on this journey. I think like what we see a lot and what we hear a lot is, we speak to people, people who've identified your book or others, and they've read them and they've gone, everything here sounds incredible. And this is clearly the North Star we should all be shooting for. But there's a big gap between where they are today and everything that you've outlined, even though it's common sense, there's still a transition that has to happen there, right? Like, where's the first step in this process? Like, if someone's read the book, and they've gone, okay, well, here's all of these insights, and here's the gold standard, where should they start on that journey? Good question. So I would start by sitting down with the organization leaders and saying, hey, look, where are we going? Tell me about the direction of travel. What challenges do we need to overcome? What talent do we not have in the business that we're going to need soon? What areas of the business need leveling up? What are you proud of from a cultural perspective? You know, from a, a citizenship perspective, like what do we believe in? What do we, you know, what, what does our voice represent? You know, and really understand not just today, but the business of tomorrow. Now, that gives you the perfect foundation for the bridge you can now create between the snapshot of reality today and the aspirational vision of, of where you need to lead people. You know, because another misconception I'll put out there is, you know, you can't have authenticity if your employer brand is aspirational. And therein lies a challenge, a paradoxical challenge that the organizational leaders will never buy into the snapshot of today because they're not happy with today. Otherwise, they wouldn't be driving the business forward and in a different direction. So 
I would say in any size organization, whether there's two people or two million people, start by listening and understand and get clarity around where the business is going. The gap analysis will show you where to start. And then it's about listening to your employees and make sure that you have a representative sample of what they think, what their opinion is of the employee experience. Third one is market view. What do you need to differentiate against? Who are you up against in the talent space? You know, in the market view, the leadership view, and the employee view give you all of the ingredients to put something really smart and really compelling together to drive the business forward. Because, you know, let's be clear, employer brand is only valuable to organizations because there is a return on investment. It just so happens for your people, inside and externally, there's also a return on investment. The trick is overlaying those so they are in perfect alignment rather than a tension between them because that's where you start to fall down. So it start, the first step is simply by listening to your leaders, then your employees, and then the market. Yeah, there's so many takeaways there. I think working backwards a bit. So you talk about listening to the market, and I think that's something that's perhaps underappreciated, right? Like we've spoken to a few people who are doing this really well, and they've got like battle cards, right? So they'll produce like competitor analysis from a recruitment perspective exclusively on here are the five or 10 or 50 other organizations we see that we compete for talent against. And when we have the opportunity to have that conversation with a top tier person, this is why we're better. This is what we offer that's different. This is the challenge that that organization has. These are, you know, without disparaging their competitors being the focus, like helping your team from a recruitment perspective. And this isn't just the front line of the recruitment perspective, right? Helping your line managers, helping your standard employees in a referral context understand how to frame your organization versus the competitive landscape, I think is massively, massively underappreciated. And so really glad you made that point. Absolutely. I'd also add that um, speaking to your recruiters and hiring managers who are on the in the firing line at the sharp end of what you're trying to achieve from a retention and attraction perspective, they will give you insight about the competitive landscape through the eyes of candidates and through the eyes of employees, which is even more valuable because it's not about what's happening out there. It's about what people care about what's happening out there. So, so that's extremely valuable. And rather than imposing an employer brand on hiring managers and recruiters, include them on in building it and design for making their life easier and more consistently on brand. You know, and that's a, another trick that we always use at PH and it, it pays us back tenfold every time. So I think you said something really interesting a few minutes ago as well, right? So, And, and I'm going to dig into this because I feel like I'm probably doing this wrong myself. So you talk about getting difficulty having leadership buy into the sort of the outward perception, I guess, of your employer brand, because you can't be authentic if you're focusing on the future. It has to sort of represent today. But there's this like challenge because I, as a leader, don't like what we see in the employer brand mirror today, right? And like, we're obviously aspiring to do better there. I think in the context of me, and when I'm speaking to, to people in a recruitment context and trying to bring A players into the business... I focus almost exclusively on the challenges of where we are today because I know how miserable the experience is going to be until they get it right and then it's hunky-dory in theory, right? And so I spend a lot of time trying to frame the challenges we face and position that as an exciting opportunity to leave a mark and kind of make a difference. How should you be striking that balance, you know, as a leader or as somebody kind of constructing an employer brand from the ground up? Should we be focusing 100% on today, 100% on tomorrow? Or like, what does that kind of look like? Great question. And I think um, your leadership style is authentic. And you're talking about where the organization needs to go. You're being open and honest about the challenges that you're facing. Now, as a leader, I bet you also talk about the solutions 
here's what we need to do to get over these challenges. And it's a very good opportunity to galvanize people together and say, we're in this. We understand what we've, the mountain we've got to climb. It's very clear. Let's go for it. Now, as part of that solution, if you said, look, our culture is X, Y, and Z. So I'll give you a good example. And this is a multi, multi-billion dollar organization, global, it's many different brands, very complex organization. Part of our research came out, fantastic, incredible culture in this organization, something that was evidence-based. So everybody said, but instead of something being there, it was the absence of something that was much needed. And what it was, was everybody in the organization agreed that as a culture, we were too polite. And this politeness was getting in the way of progress because people were afraid to give feedback that would better somebody or improve the way something is done and all the rest of it. So one of the um, EVP pillars we put in place was about radical candor. I just read Radical Candor at the time, that book, which is fantastic, by the way. So what that allowed us to do is talk very openly and honestly about, look, our research has showed us that you all unanimously agree and the need to change a polite culture to include more radical candor. So we've built something around this and we want you to all buy into it because if you do, this is what's going to be solved as a result. Now, here's the guardrails around it. You know, still need to do it with integrity and respect. It's got to be proactive and and positive in its uh, approach. Uh, And you've got to be willing to receive radical candor, not just give it. So, you know, but this is the difference it'll make in the organization. Now, is it 100% aspirational? Yes. Is it authentic? Absolutely. Is it in line with the direction of travel for the organization? Yes, it is. And is it something that people are willing to embrace? Absolutely. Now, that's a really good example of finding research and turning data into insight to drive the organization forward. And that's the job of an employer brand. World-class employer brand is the bridge between the reality of today and the reality of, of what's required to get to tomorrow. No, that's awesome. So you're literally using the employer brand to craft tomorrow's narrative, right? Like you're setting the the scene for things to happen rather than just describing what's already there. And I guess from my perspective, at least, it seems like a lot of people are in the latter camp, right? They're just using their EVP to describe where they are today and sometimes exaggeratedly rather than kind of focusing on here's the potential. I guess one final question on that specifically, right? So we talk a lot about authenticity and we talk a lot about not going to try and regurgitate the quote you gave before because I'll do a terrible job of it, but essentially helping candidates disqualify themselves and helping educate people, prospects, to understand that this isn't right for them, right? And stopping them from applying in the first place. In the context of kind of preempting those questions and, and outwardly giving the candidates all the information you want, how do you toe the line when you're describing your organization and its EVP between, hey, this is today's authentic image and this is the aspirational future? Do you cut those things quite so succinctly or is it just all blended in the wash? The more clarity you can offer, the better. You know, And what you will find is a blend of Qualities that will be here today and tomorrow, universal truths, common themes that you find across the organization that people stand on top of and actually protect because it means something to them. For example, if I say, look, you need an awful lot of resilience in this organization because you will work in lean teams. You'll be given autonomy to the point where you doubt yourself constantly. You're always out of your comfort zone. You know, your budget is small and this, 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 and this. Resilience is super important. Now, I can tell you personal stories about resilience in the marketing department, in the recruitment department, in the finance department. They're all resilience and all a key aspect of employer brand, but they show up differently in, in the organization. Now, when you talk about something like that, that will probably be something you need 
in five years' time in this organization because the culture is built around something like that. And the stories you can tell of what's possible if you have resilience in this organization is a gold mine that will never stop being mined. You know, So there are classic insights that give you universal truths that will be true tomorrow as they will be today. And then there is very much well-defined and acknowledged additions that need to be introduced. And as long as that is reinforced and as long as it's introduced with integrity and seen through and leaders actually walk the walk as well as just talking the talk, then then you can blend those two together to create an incredibly uh, solid foundation that's valuable to the business and useful to the people. As you're saying that, I've literally just been thinking of the old famous Ernest Shackleton like job ad, right? You know, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, but honor and recognition in event of success, right? Like it to me, it's that. It's just that. And I think obviously what we do is nowhere near as interesting or exciting, bluntly. But like <laughs> the notion of kind of laying things out as clear as day really, really sticks with me. Like that's exactly what we're here to do. And that's how we kind of think about here at Pinpoint shaping our own EVP. And I think we're good at that in some ways and absolutely terrible at it in others. And it's great to kind of learn these lessons by speaking to you and kind of digging these things apart. I think one of the things I wanted to dig a bit deeper into, uh, again, through this theme of like kind of employer brand marketing almost, is this idea of story architecture and, and like building your employer brand story. Like what does that mean in practice? So, you know, if, if our brains were hardware, then story architecture is the software we would use to make sense of the world, you know, to operate and compute what's happening around us. Stories are the, always have been the single most important and most powerful way of putting ideas into the world and um, make people remember or understand in a way that, you know, is sort of profound and sustainable. It's okay for an organization to say something. But if you can tell a story which is relatable and you can move people through through time, literally from a from one place to the next place to a destination, we can make sense of it. And I've studied story and story architecture for many years, and I've, I've spoken to some of the best storytellers in the world, and uh, I've really tried to sort of take the best bits, and I'm probably just scratching the surface, if I'm honest. But we believe in stories so much such that, you know, and again, in the book and in the agency every day, we use story architecture to make our point, to activate employer brand and really bring it to life and make it mean something to people throughout an organization. If you tell personal stories, you know, if employees tell personal stories that reinforce the strategic framework of your employer brand, then it comes to life. You know, it's memorable, it's meaningful, it's humanized, it's believable all of those great things. So it's a fundamental building block of getting anywhere and leveraging your employer brand and you know, putting it to work and make it give you that return on investment. And from your perspective, the best way to do that is to try and leverage your existing team. Like, How do you engage your team and get them excited about telling and sharing their own stories? How have you worked with clients to help them do that? So it's one of my favorite things. Um, Julie, who's the head of our employer brand, and she's a fantastic strategist. We always, we love doing workshops together because the sign of a good workshop for Julie and I is making somebody cry, you know, or making the whole room cry because we'll dig and dig and dig and discover the values and we'll discover the behaviors that are appreciated, the resilience that's required, or, you know, all of the different aspects of 
dealing with the harsh realities and adversities of, empl- of an employee experience and getting ahead and thriving and finding fulfillment and all of that good stuff. And then we talk about what does it mean to you and really dig into the human aspects of purpose, impact, and belonging. And what we always find, typically without fail, because we're looking for it usually, is somebody will tell a story that resonates so hard with the people around them, because they're all in the same situation, typically, that you know it really evokes emotion. And then we know we're onto something, and we capture those, and we align them with the common themes and universal truths that we found throughout the organization. And that's how we attach individual anecdotes and stories to a strategic thread that we've pulled on across a global brand or you know whatever uh, and stitch those things together and sometimes it's the tiniest story that turns out to be the biggest lever to pull to make the point that you're trying to make i think it's why i'm in love with employer brand i think it's why i love doing what i'm doing so much because when you connect the dots in such a way you get goosebumps and it's absolutely magic. And anybody can do this. I'm yet to go into any organization and not find pure story gold. How do individuals that don't have the experience and their skills that you and your team have extract these stories from, from the people that work within their organizations? Because I have no doubt, and you know, to a significantly lesser extent, I've seen this play out myself, right? But like, I have no doubt you could go into any room with the skills and experience you have and find these stories and pull on these tiny threads and turn them into the most incredible narratives. But like, how do Jane Doe and John Doe kind of go and learn this about the team that they've got in their organization? Do they need a third party to do that? Well, it is a skill. You know, I'm not going to say, yes, you must use an agency, but you know, yes, it is a skill. And also being outside coming into a team, it's also like sometimes like persona workshops or you know, research workshops turn into a therapy session. You know, it really is like the Samaritan sometimes. So the outside perspective, you know, is definitely an advantage. But there's a number of little tricks that we use. And you know, often it's not the first question you ask. It's the follow-up question that gets to the real, the real truth. But if you ask someone, I'll give you an example. If you ask somebody, hey, you know, looking around this room, what are the qualities in some of your peers that you admire most? Now, when you ask that question, there's a few things happening. What you're really asking is, when you consider your core values, which core values mean the most to you? Because actually, whatever they admire in their peers are usually what they value most just generally. So you get a good idea of, okay, what core values exist in this room, which is always interesting. But as soon as they choose a capability or a value and acknowledge somebody else in the room and then justify it with a little story of why they like that, that human intrinsic connection they've just made with that team is something they'll probably never forget. And of course, it's reciprocal. You know, when you say like, has anyone else got a story like that? You typically find a lot of examples in just the smallest of rooms. And when you ask why, and when you dig deeper, and when you understand, well, why is that so special? And what's valuable about that? You know, I was talking about the X marks the spot in terms of passion and pride. If you dig and dig and dig and dig and dig, you will typically find the derivative motivation or the driving force behind that behavior. And if you think about that for a second, that's an incredible, personal, intimate thing to reveal. You know, you're getting very clear. And when it's widely acknowledged in a very small, intimate setting, that people share those values and all recognize those behaviors, that's where you can cut the atmosphere with a knife. And that's where magic can happen, you know. And I've been in some very awkward, hostile rooms at the start of some of our research. 
But by the end of it, the atmosphere is very different because of getting to some of those little stories. It can be very rewarding indeed. And it can be difficult at first, but if you keep scratching at the surface, you know, typically you will find gold. Makes so much sense. And I think I asked that question selfishly because we have, you know, a company retreat type set up coming soon. And, and we really, you know, we're a small team. We really want to dig into all of these things. And I think that as a framework for extracting some of these threads, I guess, is super, super valuable and also super easy to implement, right? I, again, I get the idea of a sort of unknown, impartial third party facilitating and leading that discussion because it, I guess, puts everybody at ease and makes things a bit more organic. But I still feel like that's super applicable to just like bog standard teams in bog standard locations. And that's why that's exciting to me. Yeah. I mean, there's there's others in the book as well. The start, stop, continue, easy for me to say, is another great exercise. And there's a few others in, in, the, in the book. But, you know, with a little bit of practice, you can extract so much value. So, you know, I would urge anybody to just give it a go. I want to get into candidate experience now, right? Because to me, the easiest thing to lift out of your book was the notes and the perspective and the framing on candidate experience and really just basically calling people out for the crap that exists and kind of permeates the market right now, right? So so let's dig in there a bit more and, and spend some time digging into kind of where people are getting this wrong and what they should be doing differently, right? So like if we start with career sites, like what's the biggest missing element that you're seeing with kind of modern day career sites at the moment? Where to start? I mean, uh, I'll couch this with you know full disclosure that we've recently released our own content managed uh, SaaS product, which is a career platform. You know, and I'm incredibly proud of it. So I'm saying that not as a big advertisement, but because it's, it's possibly unbiased towards our own product. But what's what's really important here is, I mean, just the basics of load speed. You know, I mean, there's some shocking websites out there that takes 16 seconds to load. You know, you lose 10% of your audience with every additional second your website takes to load after two seconds. I mean, that's a phenomenal stat if you think about it. So just getting the basics, your hardware set up properly, the SEO and how you talk, how you integrate with an ATS and how you um, index in Google is super important. But beyond that, the flexibility to enable technology to fully leverage and employ a brand is probably, from our perspective, the most important aspect. If computer says no, so you can't leverage your employer brand, then what's the point in having your own dedicated career website? <laughs> you know, it's there to be the full showcase of your employer brand, your employee value proposition. And quite often, it's the first impression, the first step on your candidate experience, you know, so an authentic voice clarity around a position, ease to apply or engage. You know, there's a whole host of ingredients that need to be uh, bear in mind just to get the basics right. So talk a bit about the application experience, right? So again, you work with a, a real range of different organizations and so do we. And I think we kind of hear, well, the full end of the spectrum, right? Some people want X from their application experience. Some people want Y. We have kind of quite polarizing views like is there such a thing as best practice in terms of what that application experience with the candidate should look like, or should it be different sort of sector to sector? I think from an application process, you might know more about this than me, but there's probably some guardrails and basic principles that we use in order to understand the candidate experience that's appropriate for your organization. We map every touch point and we design a solution based on how a candidate is feeling, what they're thinking, how easy is it to move forward. And how memorable is that moment? Um, just by mapping all of those branded touch points, you'll get a really good idea of how to start to use experience by design rather than experience by what's you know technically possible and so on and so forth. So you know that's the first thing. But of course, 
how easy something is to progress is an interesting one because going back to employer brand and the the proposition that you choose to put out there if you make it difficult at certain points because you want to see how people move forward based on some challenges of time um some difficulty of answering questions or, or whatever tells you something about the capabilities of the candidate so ease can be dialed up and dialed down by design as well which you know i would say is a misconception so there's a number of things there um but technically by and large most ats systems are difficult for the candidate not in a good way you know so i would say use friction as a device but where friction is not needed in this day and age uh, technology should be an enabler not a prohibitor yeah i mean it's a great way of putting it right and i think i'd echo that i think you know again the notion of introducing friction into the application process makes sense in pockets and it makes sense where there's a legitimate reason to do so or where there's a return on investment for you on behalf of that candidate right if you're going to ask the candidate to invest 10 minutes in doing something because it's going to help you make a decision fair enough make sure you communicate that to the candidate though so that it's not just a unnecessary roadblock for the sake of it right like educate the candidate on the why behind the question but what we do see a lot of is is just pointlessness, right? Like, why why do you need this information? Why is this relevant? Why do you do this? Is it just because you've always done it? You know, candidate expectations have changed. Don't make people sign up for accounts. You're just going to churn your candidates. They don't need those things. Don't make people regurgitate information that you've already got. You know, like the basic stuff we just see got wrong, like a good 70 to 80% of the time. And I think your stat on load times is a fascinating one, right? You know, that kind of 10% per second beyond two seconds people need to kind of stop and think about that and, and actually think about the, the severity of that problem we all know how valuable the right candidate is and think about the fact that you might have just lost the next x fantastic leadership hire or that y fantastic manager of whatever because your website took too long to load like people i don't think realize the severity of those problems and i think the same is true you know, we have data that says if your application process takes longer than five minutes to complete, you'll lose 10% of your candidates per minute. We have data that says if you make people sign up for an account, you'll lose 70% of them before they even start the process. And like people, I think it's very easy, as you were saying before, right? I think the problem is that the industry, you know, basically the opposite of your big misconception concept, the industry has become so used to just seeing candidate numbers and like the vanity metrics be the goal right how many candidates can we attract can we get 2000 applicants per job can we get three what then happens is every candidate becomes a commodity and it's just another row on a spreadsheet and people forget that actually one of those rows was the person you wanted and that road never made it to the spreadsheet because the website took too bloody long to load yeah i applied for a job in 2001 and never heard back so technically i'm still in that candidate experience it's, it's a long one mate it's a really long one that <laughs> Yeah, that time's highest. Fingers, that that someone's crossed. getting fired there if they hire you. But that's the go. thing, right? And and I think it is that, right? It's you know, you talk about the big misconception. I just call it chasing vanity metrics. And I think we just see so much stuff. Oh, how many views have we got on our careers website? Is the is the important stat people are tracking? How many applicants have we got? Is the important. That is the opposite of what you want, right? It is literally the and and I'm I'm saying it worse than you did earlier, but it's still true, right? It's like focus on quality, focus on who are we resonating with, not how many people are we resonating with. And I think the reality is you have to craft that experience. And I think, again, it's very easy for people to listen to everything you're saying and go, okay, we're going to get our messaging right, but then they cock up the application process or they get the messaging right and they put it in an ad, but they don't put it on the careers website or they don't feed that into the job description. And 
people need to understand it is every touch point and it doesn't stop at the point of hire either, right? And I think that's what's interesting. And, and, and you know, maybe parking that for a second, what are you seeing people not include, right? So like, I'll give you an example. Like we see candidates asking us time and time again, especially in today's market, they don't just want the job description. They want to know what's the recruitment process look like? How long is it going to take? What's expected of me at each stage? Who am I going to be speaking to through that process? And why am I speaking to this person? They want the information and they want it without having to ask for it, right? And we see so few organizations actually investing the time into creating that content. Like, what are you seeing candidates asking for that that companies just aren't giving? Well, I think it's all those things that you've just mentioned, really. And it's difficult to answer that given that, you know, there's so many different industries with so many different sort of scenarios you know, but what we are seeing and encouraging our clients to do more and more of is just think of it like um, if you look at the the brand experience that hotels offer, they have a concierge service. You can pull up outside. You don't even need to park your own car. You know, your bags are picked up. You're taken in. The check-in process is made as easy as possible. It's possible that, you know, you're offered you know some food and drink whilst you're doing that. Um, you're probably going to be upgraded. You're not being upgraded. That's already been predetermined, but you're made to feel like you're being upgraded because you want it to be a memorable, positive experience. You know, And then your bags are in your room before you get to your room and so on and so forth. It's just a fantastic experience when a hotel gets it right, You know, to the point where you can't wait to write a review on it, even if you're one of those people who don't write reviews. And that's what we're chasing. That's what the industry bar is set at, really, because... If you can experience a brand experience like that in any facet of your life, then that's what we expect when we're applying for a role or in, interacting with any brand online for any reason, frankly. Our job in this industry is to catch up. Yeah, beautifully put. And like, I think you can tell how successful PH is by the types of hotels you're clearly staying at. But like, <laughs> so I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but the thing is, I love the analogy because we literally use it here, right? Like, I, I had an experience at the Rosewood Hotel in London, and what they did that everybody else doesn't is they didn't just go, "Here's your key, your rooms on the third floor, go to the elevator." They walked me to my room and talked to me about the hotel and the heritage of the hotel and why my room was designed the way it was designed and why the hotel had been in this location for such a long time and the things that were notable in the vicinity. And the thing is, like, I traveled and I've stayed in lots of hotels that did everything you did, but the Rosewood did this also, right? They did that, the standard baseline, but they found a way to level up. And I think that's the thing that we're chasing with our own personal candidate experiences. What's the thing we can offer the candidate that levels them up? Right. So for example, we have when we're recruiting salespeople, we have them do mock demonstrations, right? So they they have to use our product to sell it back to us. And we use that as a barometer to test how quickly they learn and take on feedback and so on. But instead of giving them like a standard demo account, we create a personalized account for them based on the things we've learned about them so far. And we feed that into the experience that they're offered. And we compensate them proactively for that time because we feel like we should, right? These are two very easy things. We're talking a hundred dollars an interview. And if someone's made it to that interview, you know, they're worth that hundred dollars. And it's an hour of time on the personalization front, but people remember that experience and they go out to do their prep and they think, oh God, Pinpoint have invested some time in getting this right for me. I should probably do the same. And that's our level up in that tiny context. And we need to find it in every single touch point in the brat, right? And I think the hotel analogy is a good one because it's so obvious when it's right and it's so obvious when it's wrong, but it's exactly the same level of obvious in the, the candidate experience as well, right? 100%, you know, and on our career sites, we offer a fairly comprehensive aspect of personalization. How it works, I don't know, because what Jim and the team do is just mind-blowing to me. But of course, if you walk into a hotel and you're a returning customer, 
they nailed personalization years ago, didn't they? You know, so we're still just chasing that sort of, you know, but we'll get there and it's an exciting space to be in. And then of course, when you get the fundamentals right, the basic hygiene of what we've just discussed, and then you optimize to be on brand and the version, all of those insights and thoughts and little touches that are memorable, that are tailored to your brand and your brand position and your brand personality, then magic can happen. And that's where an experience turns into a story when you go home. And, you know, that's what reputations are built on. You know, people talking about you when you're not there. We've learned so much and we've taken a lot of that sort of extracts from the book. And I think we'll come back to that in a second. I I wanted to pause for a second with the time we've got left and just bring it into today and and make this super kind of hyper relevant, right? And so the talent mobility space has changed a lot. People are moving jobs more frequently. The COVID landscape has just radicalized the way people think about things, right? Like organizations who were taking this stuff seriously before have accelerated those plans. Organizations that weren't have been forced to do so now, right? Like... Talk about how this is all playing out in the market right now. We hear a lot about the great resignation at the moment. Like, what does that mean to you, and how how are you seeing that play out? Yeah, so we're seeing with we've got many clients across different continents, different sizes, different industries and sectors. Really good companies who are losing good talent, and on the face of it, through no fault of their own. Um, you know, so if any organisation is they're going, what are we doing wrong? Like. The, the fact of the matter is there's many organizations not really doing a lot wrong. Um, it's just what's happening. And, I, you know, it's called the great resignation. I think what's happened over the last 12 to 18 months is, you know, people have had the great epiphany that they can make different choices than they realized. And they've reevaluated their lives. And it turns out they want different things. The world has changed. You know, if you look at it on a micro level, we probably all operate on a daily basis differently than we did 18 months ago. And organizations need to realize that you can be a great company, but that is no longer good enough to keep great people. You know, you have to remain differentiated, differentiated, remain relevant, and remain empathetic and compassionate to the current circumstance of today. So, you know, if there isn't an organization out there really understanding the fact that they need to refresh their employee value proposition because their their proposition has changed whether they know it or not and whether they want it to or not, then, you know, therein lies the issue. So we're doing an awful lot of EVP refreshing at the moment. Um, Even though a lot of EVPs we've done, like some, some, some are like six months old and we're saying, hey, look, you know, the world's moved so much. The company has grown or, or in some cases reduced but we need to refresh what our message is because the world has changed. And unfortunately, that's the scenario, that's the circumstance for most organizations today. And it's one of the downsides to what we've just come through in terms of COVID and civil unrest and everything else that the world's thrown at us in the last 18 months. For sure, right? I think it sort of depends on what what side of the buy side equation organizations sit on, right? Like we speak to lots of organizations, sadly, who still think, recruitment is a buying exercise. They think they're going into a market of captive talent that want their jobs and they're making the decisions. It doesn't work like that anymore, right? If you're hiring, you're selling, you're not buying, right? You're selling the opportunity to work at your business. And the sooner you understand that, it's easier to reframe things around and you understand that actually your messaging is dictated by the market, not the other way around. Everything you said completely resonates. And and we're seeing similar challenges with our own clients, right, who are are just seeing the quality and the caliber of their applicants either dramatically increase because they're mission-driven organizations that are well-positioned, that have favorable, you know, employer value propositions for today's market. Or, as you said, fantastic organizations who haven't done anything wrong 
but haven't adapted to reflect current market conditions. And I think some of them are taking, you know, they, the wind's been taken out of their sails a bit and they're sort of struggling to adapt and, and everything you've said hits hard, right? It really does. But it's all very possible. Yeah, it's, it's easily fixed. And actually, I was talking to an organization just this morning and they're saying, look, is there anything we can do super quick? You know, we're worried about this. And what we quickly dug into is the idea of, look, if we just start the research process of listening to your employees to refresh the EVP, straight away we can send a very positive signal that, hey, we are listening. We know something has to change here. And empathetically and compassionately, you are a priority. You know, and I think that's why giving out employer branding works so well, because it's built on acknowledgement and appreciation of people thrive that aren't in circumstance that are just all sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's thriving despite or because of the adversities that we face on a daily basis. You know, so it's just in tune with an authentic, typical day. You know, we all have our good days, we all have our bad days. And at the moment, there is a realignment that needs to happen, whether your business is in transition, whether you're challenged at the moment or not. There's many organizations out there who've actually thrived during COVID who are losing people and you know they're puzzled and essentially the world has changed people have woken up and decided they've got many more options ahead of them they've made decisions life decisions that they wouldn't have made otherwise you know and just by taking the first step and starting to respond you can uh, bridge the gap between the great resignation and some sort of retention that you're comfortable with completely right and look i think a, that makes a lot of sense. B, there was a nice segue into the book there. And C, I've taken up far too much of your time. So I think what, what I'll do is, is is start to transition to a wrap up now. And, and, and I'll do that just first and foremost by saying thank you so much. I think I appreciate you giving up the time to talk to me and the listeners about this. I think there's so many takeaways there and so many sound bites that I'm sure people will play over and over again. I think from my perspective, there's a couple of next steps here, right? So if you want to dig deeper into this, obviously we've only just scratched the surface. And I think hopefully what you've taken away from this is the importance of getting this stuff right, especially through the lens of the stuff that's happening around everybody at the moment. So uh, in support of that, we've picked up 50 copies of of Give and Get Employer Branding, and we'd love to give them away to you, the listeners. As I say, this is something, a book I gift to people all the time. And it's also a book we reference on the bloody podcast all the time. So it's really, really, really worth a read. If you want a free copy, please email podcast at pinpointhq.com and give us your name and your mailing address and we'll send you a free copy, no questions asked. If you want something a bit more hands-on or you can't be bothered to read the book, Brian's got something even better for you, right? So Brian, do you want to talk a little bit about your employer branding strategy sprint? Yeah, thank, thanks for that, Tom. Um, we've been asked for people who've read the book all over the world to assist with a little bit more sort of interactive and engaging learning um, to get people started. So we've developed an employer brand strategy sprint course. It's just two weeks long. And the reason it's just two weeks is we wanted to just jam in all of the high value stuff. It's 80% pre-recorded, 20% live session. So some live lectures from myself and the team so we can answer questions and so on and so forth. But it's designed, it's an accredited course designed for people to do in their own time and just extract high value uh, in a short space of time so you can just put it to work very quickly. Awesome. Yeah, and we fully endorse that, right? It's definitely worth checking out. And please, if you do so, let us know how you get on with it. But yeah, look, that just leaves me to say thanks once again, Brian. We really appreciate it. Uh, It's been great to get to speak to you a bit more and uh, all the best. Thanks for your time. Tom, that was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No sweat. Everybody else, for more great tales from the trenches and best practice guidance, please stay tuned to The Talent Revolution. We've got great quality content with people just like Brian coming every Tuesday. 
subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you in the next episode thanks for listening Thank you.